BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Friday, February the 9th, and your Ben Jarofsky show starts now. On today's show, legal strategist and gambling man, Brendan Schiller joins Ben for Oh What a Week. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, if you want to know about art, politics, culture in the city of Chicago, well, you need to head to ChicagoReader.com because it's all there for you. And if you want more Ben, he's right there too. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A-V as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this, oh, what a difference a day makes. Actually, we're calling it, oh, what a week. Uh, Brendan Schiller, dear friend, distinguished guest, great citizen of the world, uh, on hold, ready to uh, join in in the conversation before he dashes off. A very, very busy day. This guy is turning in, ladies and gentlemen, into an internationally known superstar on TV. Uh, and uh, one day I'll go, I know him back when. Uh, what I meant uh, by, oh, what a difference a day makes. So yesterday I was raining and railing about how the media of Chicago is just spoon-fed information all the time by uh, power brokers in this city. And I think Brendan Schiller probably knows a little bit how this game is played. Uh, so very powerful interest. Developers, lawyers, insiders have access to reporters. And reporters are always in desperately need of something, anything to fill their pages with. And so these developers, they feed them stuff. They just literally feed them stuff. And then the reporters take it and they put it out there. Uh, and then they look like they're, wow, really? What an enterprising reporter. All they did was regurgitate what someone gave to them. Brendan Schiller knows what I'm telling. This guy's a master of this in his own right. Uh, not so much now that he lives in Vegas, uh, but uh, back in the day in Chicago, he played his game. So the developer who's trying to put together a deal for uh, the, the 78, what's known as the 78, which is a huge chunk of vacant land just south of Roosevelt Road in the South Loop, couldn't get his deal put together. So he cooked up this idea, hey, I'll have the White Sox put a stadium in there. Okay, to rescue his deal. And the White Sox said, sure, you know, yeah, we'll we'll let you do that. We'll go along with that. So they got some architect to make some nice renderings. They put it out there. They feed it to their reporters. <laughs> oh, my God, breaking news. The White Sox are going to the 78. And this yesterday, it's like, I mean, what a beautiful ballpark this would be. And what a great benefit to the city of Chicago. And then whatever the developer threw to them, they threw it. It's going to create thousands of jobs. It's going to generate millions and millions of tax dollars. Open up your mouth, reporters. Feeding time. There you go. Swallow. (laughs) I've been watching this for so long. 
I mean, come on. I'm not going to, now I'm going to defend the reporters. You got to put something out there. Okay. Might as well put whatever, whatever some big time developer tells you. And then maybe, you know, when the business goes bad, you can get a job with them. You definitely don't want to end up like me in my attic. Okay. That's, I'm not the, I am not the model uh, for anything. I know some former reporters who are making a fortune, Brendan, as PR flax uh, for the major property owners of Chicago, making a fortune. Okay. So good for them. That's how the game is played. Bad for the citizens of Chicago are going to be stuck with the bill. And finally, I got to give him credit. Uh, the Sun-Times did an interview with uh, Chris Welch, who is the Speaker of the House. And he was like, hey, I got a nice picture, but I am paying for us. We don't, don't look to us, the state, to pay for this. The dummies in Chicago are like, oh, whoa, we have to pay for this? <laughs> no, it's going to be free, Chicago. Okay, it's just it's just going to be the Garden of Eden. That's what it's going to be. It's just going to be creating jobs and tax. Your taxes will go down because of this, Chicago, because it'll be creating and generating so much stuff. Little reality uh, from Chris Welch, which I'm sure will be ignored in the <laughs> coming days as the merchants of information feed those morsels to Chicago reporters. All right, Brendan Schiller, welcome back, Cotter. And um, I have to hear your thoughts on what I just said. Do you think I am just too jaded and cynical for my own good? Or is there such a thing as feeding reporters what reporters need, which is information to throw into their newspapers? Take it away, Brendan. Well, let me just say, I, I think, you know, my very, very, very first life was as an alternative media person for several years, trained initially by uh, George Atkins and, working at Streetwise at the editor. And, and I, too, know a bunch of reporters who have um, who have gotten rich, not rich, but are, are well off enough being PR uh, flunkies. And unlike you, they won't be into their hundreds doing three podcasts a day just so that they can live in their attic. But they, they also don't still have their soul or their principles. And I bet you they're not as happy as you. So I, I want to start with that. And, you know, you have friends who will keep coming on your podcast 25 years from now than you do it when you do it for a day. Um, I do think that we've had this conversation that the problem with the depletion of resources in the media industry is it makes it very difficult to do good independent journalism. And therefore, you do often uh, see stories that are just regurgitating press releases. The, the most obvious cases is when you get the Sun-Times and Tribune stories every Monday morning just regurgitating the police department, news affairs, press releases about how many shootings uh, there were the weekend before without any context, without any discussion. Um, but at the same time, there has been an explosion of kind of small, independent journalism, people's journalism via social media and, and the Internet and other ways and so it's it's just changing as opposed to what it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, and, and I think, like everything in human nature and life, good journalism will continue to find a way. All right. So uh, let's put on your advisor hat, if you will. So right now, Mayor Johnson has a couple of big decisions down the road about public uh, handouts to either the Bears, they now are letting it be known, talking about feeding scraps of information to obliging reporters that they want to go to the lakefront. They don't want to, they're sick of Arlington Heights. They've actually, they seem to be um, 
It is either a, a negotiating strategy to get Arlington Heights to give them even a bigger handout than Arlington Heights was already going to give them to develop their football field at the old racetrack, or they really have changed their minds and they want to go on the lakefront just south of Soldier Field. And then you have the White Sox who are um, being used by the developer to uh, develop his 78, which is just uh, south of the loop. So two, like two parts of a, the same neighborhood, essentially, uh, Brendan, are going to get a huge public subsidy if the developers and the owners get what they want. Your Brandon Johnson, do you advise him to give them the subsidy so that you prove that even a quote-unquote progressive or a union-backed uh, mayor uh, can cut deals with the, that benefit the wealthy? Or do you stand up um, for your principles about using public dollars uh, in neighborhoods that really, really need them? Uh, it's, it's a tough political decision. What would your advice be to the mayor? Yeah, so my objective, I have three objective thoughts on this. We know consistently from studies from going back the last several decades that there simply is no payoff, economic payoff to the cities when you subsidize billionaires for their stadiums, sports stadiums. It just doesn't happen. It's a myth. Now, we do know that there is a, a, there is an intangible civic pride thing to major sports teams that you can't get out. But there's simply no economic benefit. It is a comes a pure subsidy. We know that in particular. We also know in general that demand-side subsidies are always more effective for the community uh, than government supply-side subsidies. Despite the fact that we've operated almost exclusively opposite from that for the last 40 years, every time you put a dollar um, in, in, in a poor middle-class person's hand, it comes back to the economy 1.5 to two-fold. Every time you put a dollar in a rich person's hand, it comes back to the economy six or seven-tenths of, of a dollar-fold because rich people stack their money and people without and poor middle-class people spend their money. And, that, and that's just how it constantly works. That's why all of the COVID subsidies made the economy boom. And, and so just as a general economic matter, it's always bad to provide subsidies. It doesn't create the jobs or economic um, boom that it claims to. And as a particular um, case study, when it comes to sports teams, it's always a bad idea. That's my first point. The second point is, you know, as the poker player, I think it's time to call some of these bluffs. We have seen teams move, but they've never moved from a major northern city with a large population. Um, and they, and there's just so, and there's just not the type, and, 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 and the one or two times they moved from arguably, maybe, um, like a, a, a northern city, depending on what you, you know, the way you consider Baltimore northern city, um, they, they eventually get replaced, right? The, 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 the major league, the major leagues cannot afford to ha not have a team in Chicago, New York, Philadelphia. It's never going to happen. Um, and even brief, even LA, as as bad a fandom as that is, when they try to leave, they always come back. Um, <laughs> so there's always going to be a Chicago sports team uh, in, in every major league, and there may not always be two baseball teams, but I suspect neither of those teams are going to leave. And and then the other point here is, if you're going to bluff them, and if you understand how the economics work then you should come 
you, the city of Chicago, the mayor, should come into these negotiations with your own intention. And here's where my intention would be. And this is what I thought for the casino. This is what I think for these sports teams. Chicago continues to have, of any major U.S. city, the largest swath of undeveloped waterfront land in the country. And it just happens to be offset from an from an area that can use an infusion of development. It, it exists on the far southeast side, right? It exists in the 7th and 10th Ward. It is miles of undeveloped land, square miles of undeveloped land. If you want subsidies, then you should go where we need you to go. You should go where we won't create traffic issues for the for downtown on the South Loop. You should go where the where the Penumbra communities need investment and development, and you should you should commit to hiring from those southeast sides, from southeast Chicago, from Hegwish, from from those from South Shore, from those communities that need the influx, and you should commit to doing a certain amount of business incubating in those communities and and affordable housing in those communities, and then we'll provide your subsidies. That's it, it, you got it, and it may not be that. That's my own personal vision, but you should. But the city needs to come to these more with an offensive vision of what they want to demand from these billionaires. If these billionaires want to stay in the city, because they do, so I think he should call their bluff, and I think he should lay his his chips on uh, on the line in terms of what he wants from them. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, I, we call, I call this what you just articulated the Delmarie Cobb. Uh, strategy and shout out Delmarie Cobb, another dear friend of the show, comes on all the time, and she was the one who was advocating. Uh, she thought it was absurd that the the Bears uh, were wanted a handout, but did not want to come uh, to the old uh, steel mill on the south side at 87th and the Lake. Beautiful location, right on the lake. You talk about a lake view, and it's your point. If it's south of the center city. I don't know. <laughs> it's the same lake, all right? It's the same lake with the same gorgeous view, but somehow or other, what is it? You get past, south of uh, Hyde Park, Brendan, uh-oh, you know, they can't go there. Uh, and I, I think Chicago would get behind um, an economic development deal that gave, uh, that cleaned up this land, that took the toxic, the, 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 the poisons out of the soil and enabled the bears to develop. I think Chicago would get behind that more or less, and I think you're right that the mayor could uh, could say, "I'm doing this is a, actually a deal that benefits people in Chicago," as opposed to sticking it right there uh, in the heart of the you know just uh, downtown once again. Uh, so I'm with you on that one. Um, you know, and uh, I'll, here's the other thing I'm going to put to you and get your thoughts on this, Mayor Johnson. I'm going to tell you something that you know. And I'll use the police contract one more time. You gave the police a raise, and no one has given you credit for it. No one. In fact, you're being assailed by the police union right now. You gave them the money they wanted, the raise they want. I'm not seeing the Republican Party give you credit for it. I'm not seeing uh, all those libs who were endorsed Paul Vallis give you credit for it. Uh, the Senator Durbin hasn't given you credit. Jesse White hasn't given you credit. Nobody's given you credit. For giving the police a raid. You were supposed to be the defund the cops mayor. Remember that, Brendan? Uh, and he never claimed that. He never claimed to. He never claimed to it, but that's what they hit him with. That's what I'm saying. They hit him with that. He, one of the first most 
significant outlays of public money he did was to give the police a raise. No one on the other side has given him any credit for it. They're not going to give him any credit. He can move heaven and earth to get the White Sox and develop the 78 with public with TIF dollars, probably move heaven and earth to get state money to go build the Bears Stadium uh, just south of Soldier Field with, uh, again, state my hotel motel tax money. But no one in that downtown business community will give him credit for it. Ultimately, they w- there will be no benefit from the people who get the benefit if you follow what I'm saying. And again, am I too cynical and jaded for my own good? Go, Brendan Schiller. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I can, I'm sorry, I can't. I can't say anything other than that. I don't. I don't disagree. <laughs> so well, there's a pause. Like, wow, I was expecting pushback. Uh, but uh, yeah, I uh, I remember we were having a conversation early on uh, about like the mayor was really um, uh, agreeable in his uh, the way he was dealing with downtown business interests. Oh no, when he met with Rom. Remember that? Remember that first conversation we had when he met with Rom and, and the strategy was the mayor. Is, the mayor is the mayor of the whole city. He never ran on a defund. It doesn't. And I understand people try to pay him, but you know you have to hold people accountable for how they run. That's how they're going to govern. And he's governed pretty consistent to how he's run. He all he always said that he was not a defund the police guy. He he, he was you know his line was. He has a family in Austin. He wants them to be safe. Um, uh, you know, there was there was a shooting once. I mean, he he always now he he has he managed to really consistent, rigorous, grassroots work to essentially scoop up all of the young activists who call themselves abolitionists. But that was not by promising to defund the police. That was by promising to do a variety of these other things. They are attendant that that abolitionists believe are foundational to eventually defunding the police, and he's he's doing some of those things, but he's pretty. Con- I, I think he's been pretty consistent to how he ran. He's governing how he ran. I know that recent polls don't show him uh, having that high favorability rate or doing that well amongst the electorate. Um, I I'm I haven't been surprised by too much of what he's done. No, I, uh, I I understand that he uh, moved away from the defund um, rhetoric and uh, never pushed it as a mayoral candidate. I absolutely understand. I'm just saying uh, that's what he was hit with and hammered with. And, when he, for, and then when he disproved it, for better or for worse, regardless of your, uh, of your view on defunding the police or paying for the police, when he moved away from it and gave the police a contract faster than any other mayor in the city of Chicago – he did not get a political benefit from him. The other side did not say, oh, my God, am I surprised and impressed? And I take back all of that things I said about you. And No, they just continue the fight. So um, it's much like expecting Republicans to negotiate fairly uh, with Democrats on, in any venue. They will always play unfair. They will always back away from their agreements. You cannot. It's, it's not like uptown politics, Brendan. You can't count on anybody to keep their word. Uh, that's my humble opinion. I think you agree with me. Uh, I wouldn't say you can count on everybody to keep their word in Uptown either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where you got that from. You know, oh, my God, one of the great lines, Brent, this is in the old days uh, when we had off-the-record conversations only, not on a mic. Uh, I can't do justice to it. You were saying, like, the thing that unites uh, both sides uh, in Uptown uh, who were battling over uh, 
public public housing and uh, other issues like that was they're the biggest all bunch of whiners. Retirement. <laughs> there was there was yeah. Yeah. over over the decades is um, both the good guys in my mind and the bad guys got to a point where they became where it became a sense of entitlement. Yeah, it's such a good fight on behalf of affordable housing that those living in a, that some of those folks living in affordable housing thought they were entitled to without a real political fight to that affordable housing continuing to be there. And people and the, the opposition thought they were entitled to a neighborhood without affordable housing because they were paying a high rent. Yeah. Um, it was, it, yeah. Yeah, it was so, an entitlement word. Yeah, that's probably the word you use, not whiner. That's probably a Ben word. It sounds like a Ben word. Uh, all right. Um, we'll move on uh, to the other big news uh, that went down in Chicago, uh, and that is the city council. Um voting uh, uh, for uh, a resolution that calls for a ceasefire uh, in uh, the Mid- Middle East, uh, essentially asking Israel to stop the bombardment of uh, Gaza and uh, asking Hamas to release the hostages. That's essentially, that's basically what it did. Personally, I would have voted for it if I were an older person in the city council. Well, just, I mean, I just don't, I don't know how you could not vote for it actually in good conscience. Um, that's just my per- political view um i applauded mayor johnson uh, and i'll tell you why brendan um i thought that uh he did a masterful job of legislating or lobbying or whatever you want to call it uh, it was a very tense vote there was a lot of pressure being applied on both sides of the issue it was a divided city council at one point it looked like uh the, the resolution would be defeated in other words, that more people lined up to oppose it than to support it. He got on the phones, Brennan, he worked the phones, and he got five aldermen just to not be there. The aldermen weren't going to vote yes to the resolution. They did the next best thing. They just didn't show up in terms of passing the resolution. They didn't, they didn't show up, and he put his neck on the line and cast the deciding vote. Uh, I can't think of many mayors that have uh, handled a tense issue like that with uh, as much calmness uh, and nimbleness as uh, Brandon Johnson did and without any inflammatory rhetoric uh, from him. And so I applaud him. I put it in print. I've said it on the mic uh, many times. And, of course, <laughs> once again, I, he's being hammered uh, throughout by many other people here in Chicago uh, for what he did, but I think it was masterful legislation. I can't think of Rahm Emanuel ever showing such dexterity with the city council. All he did was bully the city council. Uh, and uh, Mayor Daley, the one time he ever had a deal uh, with a losing effort in the city council, and you were around for this, um, he um, twisted arms to get them to back off on giving a raise to people who work in uh, like a Walmart's. So, you know, what a stand that was, huh? <laughs> Great moments and uh, and he was applauded. Oh, man, what a master of the legislative process Daly was. Yeah, you took money out of poor people. You took money away from poor people uh, while you were also having one tip deal after another tip deal enrich the wealthiest. So I applaud Brandon Johnson. Uh, your thoughts? Um, so first off, you were referring to the big box deal with Mayor Daly. Yes. At some point in time, we need to have a conversation about that because I thought it was an interesting dynamic. I don't actually don't disagree with you much here either. Let me first say... I do think individually, as an individual, Brandon Johnson has consistently proven he is a good politician. He is liked. He is able to do things. He keeps a uh, in one-on-one settings. 
He keeps a, a very steady, even keel, um, and he knows how to work things behind the scenes. And he simply does not have the same type of temperament that that results in reactions as opposed to reflections that the last, the previous two mayors had. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think his administration has had some real problems in terms of what I hear. I'm not in that city, but what I hear from folks in terms of getting organized, getting some of their own people in places. I mean, I've heard what I heard Jeanette Taylor on your show, and I heard what she said echoed by many other folks. But I think him individually, I think the mayor individually is a master politician and probably the best individual politician the city has had since Harold Washington. That has nothing to do with their politics. That has everything to do with their personality. Um, and I think that's accurate. And we had discussed this and also, that doesn't necessarily mean I agree with all of their policy positions either, but that's who he is individually. But we also discussed this dynamic in general back in the summer. You have a dynamic where you have a city council that has 10 to 15 truly progressive aldermen, 10 to 15 truly conservative aldermen, and almost the entirety of the middle are black moderates. And the thing about the black moderates is they like him individually, and they know he's a black man. And they know that he, he did get 80% in their wards um, back in, in April, right? So when he needs to, when he wants to, he has the ability to almost always get to 26 votes, 25 votes, or at least a tie so that he can pass uh, the, the, uh, the tiebreaker. And now we've seen on three or four occasions now, going back to the, to the whole issue with Alderman Ramirez Rosa, um, and, and, and Emma Mitz and other things before we've seen them maneuver to a point where they get to the exact vote total they need to get and they protect and they give cover to other folks. There were, there, there simply are a number of black aldermen who get money from folks, I believe, um, or, or maybe have a, a, a real position or have allies who, who did not want to wade into, um, this because it looks like it's too far left, you know, what we're talking about. Listen, let me just say this. Um, I think you know that both my mother and my father were Jewish. I think you know, if you read my mother's book, that a very large portion um, of uh, my mother's family on my father's side was wiped out by the Holocaust. Um, uh, but I think it's safe to say that my entire remaining family, at least most of them, all of them on my um, on my mother's side, um, most of my mother's side is anti-Zionist and believe that Israel is in basically committing genocide at this point in time. I think the whole country's coming to realize that Israel's committing genocide in terms of Gaza at this point in time. They're trying to wipe out Gaza. This is um, and and this there's there's a time for politics. And there is a time for humanity. It's been a time for humanity for several weeks, a few months. That creates a lot of emotion, though, right? Because there are obviously folks who obviously believe, who honestly believe that Israel itself faces some type of existential crisis. I don't think that's the case in this scenario at all. Um, but there's people who believe that. That creates a lot of emotion. When you're in politics... When you're an alderman in the city of Chicago, you need to develop friends and allies of all types, including folks who are your supporters, folks who are your consultants, and, and they're going to come down on either side of that. And it becomes really hard 
for some of those folks, and I, I talked to one or two of them, to uh, to to make it take a clear stance on this. The 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 ceasefire folks weren't the people who first made the city council take a clear stance. That started way back right right after October seventh with the fiftieth ward alderman, and and so. Once you took that stance, the ceasefire is, is more than reasonable at this point in time, given everything that's happening. Um, and given that we are seeing, we are witnessing in real time the wiping out of a territory, which is the definition of genocide. Gaza will no longer exist in a couple of months. That is what Israel is trying to accomplish. Israel is trying to take over the territory from the river to the sea. They're trying to wipe out the Palestinians. Um, in terms of control of that land. And, and that is really very, very problematic. It's our money that's going to fund that. And I'm saying that as a, uh, as a son of, of both sides of my family who are Jewish and who lost members in the Holocaust, right? Um, but I also understand politics and self-interest and, and hard votes that have nothing to do with actually serving directly your constituency. And I understood, Stan, why a few of those aldermen wanted to take a walk. And I agree with you. I think it is perfectly reasonable as the leader of a city trying to make a statement. And the statement was made. It doesn't matter if it had gotten down to, to, to 15 to 15 and he was the tiebreaker. I don't care how it would happen. This is the, lar- the largest city in the country to make the statement about our tax dollars. And he did it in a way that he protected and cared for allies who he'll need other votes for in the future and who had reasonable self-interested reasons not to be on record making that vote. I think that's completely principled. Uh, yeah, well, well stated. I um, mean, it's a whole other there, there's an obvious uh, follow up question that would happen. I want to avoid it for the time because that would get in a, it's a very personal question. Uh, but uh, so I'll just move on. It's on my mind. I have to make a mental transition not to ask this question. I'll ask maybe off mic. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I agree with what you're saying. And and getting uh, any kind of resolution uh, in which a Chicago alderman is asked to weigh in on uh, foreign policy, things that are happening outside of the United States, outside of the city of Chicago. Uh, are always going to be a challenge uh, to the uh, Brendan because to some degree, I mean, there's just a, a natural ignorance. You know, we nobody's following foreign policy. A relative handful of people in America follow foreign policy issues that are taking place in other countries closely. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, Palestinian Americans are following it closely. Uh, Jewish Americans may be following it closely. Uh, you know, Muslims may be following it closely. But by and large, the vast majority of Americans aren't following it at all. All right? And uh, so uh, you're alderman in the city of Chicago. You're being asked to weigh in on something you don't know anything about. What do you do? You turn to someone, in this case, from the Jewish community. And you say, what do I do? I, I believe these kinds of phone calls were happening all the time uh, over the last two weeks. And probably you're getting a, a divided vote uh, from the Jewish community. Depends on who you, 
which Jewish American you talk to. If you talk to Helen Schiller, your mother, the former alderwoman of the 46th Ward, you're getting, I'm sure you're getting advice of vote yes for the resolution. Uh, if you talk uh, to Michael Sachs, who uh, is was one of Mayor Rahm's chief uh, advisors uh, and a very prominent citizen uh, in, the, in Chicago and the suburbs, you'll get another point of view, which is probably vote no. So you're an alderman. Who are you, who are you going to listen to, Helen Schiller or Michael Sachs? Do you follow what I'm saying? And yeah, it's and so, so for many aldermen who represent communities where there's nobody that cares that much about this. It's a no-win situation because one way or another, you're impacting potential advisors or funders or whatever. And so it's, it's it's a no-win situation. But it is our tax dollars, and it is a relevant issue. And it was, um, it was an accomplishment to have the city of Chicago on record. And, and we are fine. And we are hearing more and more this presidential administration move away from its kind of lockstep marriage to the far right wing Israeli government that's run by uh, a crook that's run by their version of Trump. Um, and so the Chicago passing that resolution is one of the things, one of the straws of hay on the camel's back that may help push the policy of past where it's at right now. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but you're right. And I just saw, I think, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis uh, followed suit. So Chicago had been the only major city uh, that passed a ceasefire resolution. And I, and I, I just saw that Minnesota, they overrode uh, the mayor's veto. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think attitudes are changing. Uh, and um, I think I just think it's the right thing to do, uh, just putting aside the politics of all. Uh, the horror of what's happening in Gaza is just unspeakable, and we should end it, do anything we can to end it and get the hostages out. All right, uh, let's move on. We'll close uh, with the, some national politics. Uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden. Uh, there were, a special report came out yesterday absolving him of wrongdoing uh, in on the matter of uh, having classified documents uh, in his garage, I think it was in his garage, where he had him stored. And he, of course, uh, revealed, he was the one who came forward and revealed that he had his classified documents left over from his days as Vice President Barack Obama. Uh, he did that in the aftermath of uh, <laughs> the Donald Trump, the revelations that Donald Trump had boxes and boxes and boxes of uh, classified documents uh, in his possession that he took for reasons I'll can only speculate about Brendan and then stashed away and then resisted any attempt by the feds to return them. Uh, and so there was the raid at Mar-a-Lago and the uncovering of the boxes. Uh, and so to prove that uh, they're uh, fair, just shake my head at this one, uh, the uh, Merrick Garland appointed special counsel to investigate uh, Joe Biden's uh, the boxes that are left over his vice presidency that he knew about only because Joe Biden volunteered it. Uh, and then uh, Robert Hur was his name. He came forth with a report that absolved Biden of wrongdoing. But in that report, uh, he felt it necessary to basically said uh, that this guy is a doddering old man or something. I mean, he didn't literally say that, but he put that out there. Uh, and now, of course, the, the headlines are not about, oh, Biden absolved. It is, he's a doddering old man. He's old. He's really ancient. <laughs> 
uh, and uh, just accentuating his weakness going into this presidential campaign against Trump. Uh, so put on your political strategist hat right now. If you are a Democrat uh, powerhouse, would you go into the White House and say, Joe Biden, you've got to step down and let uh, somebody else run uh, because this you're going to lose to Trump. You could lose to Trump, which is like the worst thing that can happen. Um, would you do that? Well, let me first say that for about three or four months on my couple of political group text strings, I've been offering to bet money that the November ballot is not Biden versus Trump. I think it's more likely than not that one of them, if not both of them, are not on the ballot um, for a variety of reasons. First off, Biden's whole raising the trial, his whole reason to run uh, four years ago, and his whole argument is that he is the best person to beat Trump. Um, so if Trump's not on the ballot, I don't think he'll be on the ballot. Trump, we are witnessing Trump, despite what happened in the Supreme Court or, or, or argument yesterday, despite the Colorado case, we are witnessing Trump continually to roll up a series of liabilities over the next few months. The New York, he, he had the $83 million judgment on top of the $5 million judgment in the E. Jean Carroll case. The New York civil fraud case will be a 300, post three, uh, uh, above $300 million judgment against him. These are civil cases in New York. New York State case, which require essentially 100% bonds um, to be able to appeal. So that's actual cash he has to come up with now. The New York hush money porn star criminal trial is going to go in March. That is a case that is actually very simple and easy to prove. It happened before he was president. None of these presidential immunity. It doesn't have to wait on the Supreme Court case. He, he, he gave hush money. Uh, to a porn star that he that he had sex with, and then and then he he hid it through his political campaign. That's illegal, right? That's going to happen. He's the more likely going to be found guilty. He is a seventy six year old unhealthy man on Adderall all the time, who is doddering himself. The combination there is a reason that that smart people are telling Nikki Haley to stay in this race and not drop out. The combination of legal and financial liabilities that he continues to gather and his health make him more likely than not to be on the ballot. And at the same time, Joe Biden is an old man. And I don't mean that by age. I mean that by movement and speech and the way he appears. And he has been getting ridiculed amongst young people on social media for months, if not years. There's a reason his numbers are so low in polls against people under the age of 30. They keep ridiculing him. I mean, it has also to do with, with some of the wishy-washiness on, on, on student loans. It has also to do with the last three or four months and his position um, on Israel, his lockstep position for the most part with Netanyahu. You know, a, a large, very large percentage of people under 30 view the, the Hamas-Israel or the Israel-Palestine thing, not as Israel as Jews versus Muslims, but really as white folks versus non-white folks, if we're, if we're being honest, as non-Africans versus Africans, Northern Africans in some ways. Um, that's how it's viewed. And so you have a, uh, a man who's been getting ridiculed um, amongst the young votes who probably won't come back to him, um, who who... Honestly, it, while it's complete BS, this this uh, this documents classified documents report 
it's a sufficient enough report that if the Republicans really, really wanted to impeach him, they could leave all this BS Hunter Biden stuff behind. They could use this as a basis and get 215, 216 Republican votes in Congress and get an impeachment. If I was advising the Republicans, I'd advise them to do that now. I don't know why they haven't started that impeachment inquiry right now based on the classified documents, right? And that's a perfect defense for Trump in his Mar-a-Lago case. Not really, not perfect defense, but it's a great uh, subterfuge and, and cover. Um, I think that, uh, that, that there are many people um, who, they aren't saying it out loud, but are just like Nikki Haley is hanging around. I think we've seen a couple governors of some big states hang around and do some national things and try to make some national friends just in case. We have a vice president just in case. And um, I think it's, so I've been saying, I think it's more likely or not that one of them is not on the ballot. And I think it's pretty likely that both of them are on the ballot come November. I think this year is more like 1968 than any year in the past um, 56 years. Now, to answer your actual question, if I were advising um, Joe Biden, and we're both acquainted, I think, with a couple of people who are advising Joe Biden, because um, there's some there's some Chicago talent in his political and, uh, sphere there. Um, if I were advising Joe Biden, I would uh, probably tell him to keep doing exactly what he's doing because... <laughs> Everything I just predicted is going to happen with or without him. And so he has to keep doing exactly what he's doing. Um, but I would also be advising all of the people I just kind of implied who are kind of circling and waiting to keep doing what they're doing as well. Because I think whether it's because Biden faces a medical crisis, Biden faces too many political crises, or because Trump is not the candidate, there will be reason for Biden to not be the candidate come the convention in the summer. Um, damn, I was just thinking about I was while you were riffing. I was thinking Kamala Harris versus Nikki Haley. If it came to that, and, and uh, just wow, two women, women of color, uh, whose uh, ancestors come from India. Uh, I just like mind blowing. You know, uh, <laughs> what a moment that would be. Put aside the politics and everything. Just America would have to choose between two women, uh, women of color. Right. And I'm not saying I like the ideology of either one. I'm just saying just on that. This is, this is supposed to be a watershed year, according to many spiritual sources. <laughs> this is supposed to be a watershed year. It would make a lot more sense if at the end of the year you had two uh, women of immigrant families uh, running against each other than two octogenarian uh, white men. Wow. Damn, that's so deep. I hadn't thought about that chewing on that riff. Uh, now, let me ask you this. I want to bring your many worlds together, your political world and your poker world. And I'll just remind folks, uh, Brendan Schiller now lives in Vegas, and he's a poker player, avid poker player. We're going to close by explaining where his career is taking him. Um, is there a line in Vegas on Trump Biden, could I place a bet? I'm, a, as you know, I'm, I no longer. Uh, yeah, able, but could I? It, could I, if I wanted to, uh, lay a bet on this? So there's no line in Vegas. There's still this. There's still online political markets. There's online markets. I think mostly based in Britain that do do these type of political uh, 
options betting. Um, I, I haven't looked at them. I, I never do look at them. Um, you know, part, I think we've had this conversation, part of, of my own personal commitment and growth and where I'm trying to use poker, and this may sound, this may sound um, an opposite to people, but what I try to use poker to do is to not, is to not have a gambling addiction. So I don't do any other type of gambling. Um, so I don't look at those things. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but I know they exist. Yeah. I hadn't, what up thought that is. that could be a whole show. You give me like three whole shows here. Uh, the big box show, I'm going to bring you on. We're going to do the big box. show. don't get over that one. Uh, forget that one. Uh, that would be whatever your insights on that. That's a very big moment in Chicago politics in my humble opinion. Uh, uh, but then the notion of being a professional poker player in order to be an addicted gambler is not, in itself a contradiction. In order not to be, yes, uh, is an, an interesting contradiction which we'll hold off for a conversation. Well, if you ever studied the the ancient Roman and Greek philosophy of Stoicism, um, one of their tenets is that uh, the way you get some personal growth is you um, see temptation and then you disdain it. That is like me with chocolate cake. Oh, my God. I could eat so much. That's me and fried chicken right there. Okay. I can't. My love for fried chicken is so deep and profound. And I'm really looking forward to the Super Bowl because I'm going to indulge. Go to my friend's house. He makes the best fried chicken. I mean, but to give you the opportunity for personal growth, you put the fried chicken in front of you and then you don't eat it. (laughs) Oh, my God. M&M's fried chicken. What else could I put to the on this list? Chocolate cake. I already, I gotta just. I love chocolate cake so much. All right, let's close uh, with this. Uh, congratulations to Brendan. Um, he's moving in the direction of the media. So I, I feel I've helped you in this way. I've shepherded you. I've been put you on a microphone. Uh, so I'll take full credit for this, uh, even if it's not nothing to do with me. Um, but you're now doing color commentary on um, uh, for poker tournaments. I think is really cool. Uh, so why don't you tell people about this? Yeah, it was so as of this moment, it was just a, a one-off opportunity. It was a live street cash game. I don't know if you know this, but since COVID, there's been a real explosion on YouTube and other apps of live streaming these kind of high stakes cash game, cash games. So there's a friend who I play poker with who who's part of one of those regular events here in Vegas, and he had an opportunity for somebody to join him to do color commentary yesterday um and it was it was at it was at tropicana it's the bali live poker which also does a couple does one in california and um they have over a couple hundred thousand subscribers and it looks like there was a couple you know 1500 viewers yesterday so it was fun um i i I did it i enjoyed it i it was a little bit of a rough start but i i really it was the first time i've ever done anything like that and i slid right into it and i got a lot of compliments so i think i'm gonna do some more poker commentary, and um, it was a good time. Yeah, no, man, it's cool. I, I, you get all the credit for, for creating my broadcast career. <laughs> I want all the credit, okay? And then when you come really rich, I want you to sponsor the show. Hey, this is quid pro quo, Chicago. This is how it works. Now you know how <laughs> – they don't even – I don't think they're that bold when the, the little uh, publicists are calling the reporters. I don't, I don't think they come right out and say – 
if you write this article, we'll hire you. <laughs> but it's kind of, I got it. I got a feeling it's in the air. You know what I'm saying? So wait, wait, wait. Before, so you also, you also mentioned you liked my quotes to your old friend Maya. So Maya gives me a call. Actually, I give Maya a call trying to be, I give Maya a call trying to be, I, I had three, I should say, I had self-interested people who asked me to give Maya a call on their behalf. And so I give her a call on one of their behalves. And then she nails me down and, and just because I'm in Vegas being a poker player, don't care no more, and give her a couple quotes that you wanted me to discuss today. Oh, it was. I got to call them up. I took a picture of them. And the Maya in question is Maya Duke Masafa, my dear friend, part, partner in crime. She'll be coming on the show next week to talk about our latest investigations with uh, how judges are slated, uh, how judges get elected. Uh, this is uh, Maya's life right now. Uh, and she turned to um, Brendan for quotes. And this one is hilarious. I mean, I actually agree with wholeheartedly uh, what you said here. Uh, so this is a quote uh, in Maya's article. Shout out, Maya, from uh, Brendan. Here we go. Quote, judges in many ways used to be just an extension of the sophisticated suited patronage that came out of the ward organization, says longtime judicial politics observer Brendan Schiller a former criminal defense lawyer and civil rights lawyer who helped fund the short-lived but influential judicial accountability pact. Quote, the uneducated precinct captains went to streets and sand and water, and the educated ones went to corporation counsel and state's attorneys and then became judges, Schiller said. All of those folks were just dumbass precinct captains who managed to get a law degree. End of quote. What a disparaging thing to say. Well, judges, go ahead, Brendan. You're right. You're right. I apologize to all dumbasses out there. That was offensive to equate you to the captains <laughs> that came from the south and northwest side and eventually became judges. You were probably much more ethical than that. Did that, did that satisfy? There we go. That's that's why. That's good. Just double down in many ways with that uh, apology. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, um, I, I've had the game explained to me more than once. Uh, from judges uh, in private conversations. Once at a, a Cubs game, I was sitting at a Cubs game, and uh, a judge happened to be sitting next to me, Brendan. I'm not naming any names. Uh, and I learned, it was an invaluable lesson. Well, I guess it was just something about the Cubs. They were a typical Cubs game. They sucked. They were losing. And you know how you just sit at a Cubs game and just chat or any sporting event where it's boring and you're just talking more than anything else? But yeah. to me, that's what baseball games are all about anyway. Uh, and the conversations I have with my friends. And this dude just explained. It's like, I forget what it was then, but the going price was like 50 grand, I want to say, that you had to contribute to the Democratic Party to get their endorsement. I think it was 50. But God damn, this is more blatant than me. You know, uh, so I, yeah. I will say, though, and I, I read the article and I'm glad um, <laughs> glad my quoted Chairman Preckwinkle a lot. I, th this current the last three or four cycles, this current Democratic Party really has worked to figure out how to create more diversity. And I don't mean just racial diversity or gender diversity or ethnic diversity. I mean, actual diversity in terms of knowledge and experience and community based and and, and political perspectives on the bench. Um, but there had, there is going to be a new iteration that we haven't figured out with that's how all this is going to, of how judges are going to be elected a decade from now. That's much more robust 
that involves the, both the legal community and the overall community really vetting um, and, 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 and having good candidates. And I, I think that we are in a period, I mean, I said, and I think I said this in, in Maya's article, we're in a period where we're in that tra- transition where you're not getting a lot of folks running, but at the same time, the community's more aware, the legal community's more uh, aware, the political community's more active, and, and the journalistic community's more active, and there's much more information. And eventually that will mean a much more robust and diverse um, bench and that, and that will, and maybe a different legal system altogether um, in some ways, and, and that'll help us all. Yeah, and uh, uh, Maya is uh, is a healthy star. Uh, Maya Dikmasova is no joke, man, ladies and gentlemen. She's got, uh, she's just a great reporter, in my humble opinion. She's the, uh, I always say this, uh, uh, Brendan, uh, not just about uh, Maya, but I, I have, I have much more faith in the younger journalists uh, than the older journalists. The older journalists uh, come from an era for, that is very similar to what you were describing with judges. Uh, and you're just spoon-fed information and you just put it out there knowing that your uh, advancement to a certain degree relies on promoting these uh, these special interests. Uh, and whereas I feel the younger journalists I've met, the millennials, uh, and even the, your uh, generation, the Gen Xers, McDonkey, Sarah Carp, et cetera, uh, they come at it differently. They just, they're, they're, they don't buy into the system that way. Uh, so I, as a, as I advance in age, I am, <laughs> I am more and more confident. Uh, this is so, it's a paradox about the future of journalism. Uh, in, in Chicago because of the younger journalists at the same time it's so scary and frightening because the economic model of sustaining journalism is so challenged and uh, everybody's searching and fi- trying to figure out how they can pay the basic bills you look at what's happening with the Tribune it's egregious what Alden Capital is just squeezing the Tribune capitalism ladies and gentlemen can you rely on capitalism uh, to invest uh, to, to sustain uh independent-minded journalism? I don't know. That's a whole other issue. So um, I think you're right. I'm going to be, I'm going to close by being optimistic for once, Brendan, as opposed to the cynical, jaded voice that sometimes I seem to be. Um, Anyway, that's how I'm going to end this one. All right, Brendan, I'm going to let you go. You're a busy guy. Got poker things to do. Got a lot going on. Uh, Thank you for carving out some time to chat with me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's Brendan Schiller. I also want to thank uh, producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. Peace and love. And don't forget, if you want to spend the whole weekend playing catch up on previous Ben Jarofsky shows, those Benny J bonus interviews, you haven't got signed up for that Chicago Reader newsletter yet, you need to head to chicagoreader.com. You will literally lose yourself in the moment. It'll be great. You want to follow Ben on Instagram at Benny J Show. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow the Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.